Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church is a new church plant in Tucson, Arizona. We welcome you to join us every Sunday morning at 10.30 for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. Now here's Pastor Brandon in Jonah chapter 1. Hope to see you soon. I'm glad that you're with us today. Um, Last week we started our study in the book of Jonah. We looked at verses one through seven or through six of the first chapter. Today we're going to finish the rest of that chapter, chapter one. But we'll continue to look at that first chapter in Jonah. And remember, we, we called him the rebel. He was a man who refused to obey, obey God's call. Um, and we saw his, his reaction to the Lord's command over his life. And it was to run, to get away from the actual calling that God had in his life. Last week, we looked a little into Jonah, and um, we saw that he was a prophet. A prophet is one who heard the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to them, and their job was to proclaim it. Um, We also learned that many prophets were disliked because of the message that the Lord brought over them, and a lot of them actually had to walk into the face of danger. And in this case, Jonah had to do the same thing where he was called to Nineveh. We have different prophets in the Bible, and different prophets are sent to different places. Some of them were sent to Israel, so a prophet to Israel. Some of them were a prophet to Judah. In this case, Noah, or I'm sorry, Jonah is a prophet to Nineveh, and Nineveh is probably the, the worst place you could be sent, according to Jonah, right? So much so that he's willing to run away, run for his life, Jonah. And so we, last we saw of Jonah, he was asleep in the inner parts of a ship. Remember that? He was under threat by a severe so- storm. And so he's cuddled up in this ship. It's raining, it's pouring, it's tossing left and right, and the Bible actually describes the ship to be under threat. That's how severe the storm was. And nevertheless, there's Jonah curled up fast asleep. Why? Because he was so far out of God's will that he was able to just sleep through the issue, through the problem, through the storm. And um, it's a really interesting lesson for us to see. It's, wow, are we really so far out of God's will that we're able to sleep even through the disciplinary acts that he brings over us, you know? And so Jonah had to be waken up, remember? And the captain of the storm actually is determined to bring everyone to safety. And so he goes around and everyone starts praying to their God, their known God. And he has to ask Noah, the preacher, the prophet. He has to be asked, hey, Noah, will Joe, I I keep saying Noah, don't I? Jonah, will you pray? Will you pray? (laughs) And Jonah, you know, still doesn't do much. And that's where we left off. But what we see here is that Jonah was also determined to thwart God's plan. If you didn't see that God had a plan, Jonah says no, or at very least, he doesn't want to be a part of it. And I think a lot of us can maybe relate to that in, in in, in some way that God has a plan for our life. And sometimes we just don't like that plan. Sometimes we think, you know what? If I skew that plan a little bit, if I thwart that plan a little bit, maybe it'll be a little bit more convenient for me. Maybe then I can say, yeah, I can do that. I can fulfill the calling that that God has over my life. Or we could just say, yeah, nah, somebody else. You know, I pass. And that's the attitude that we see from Jonah here. And then we saw at the end of verse six that the captain was just like, Jonah, you got to (laughs) pray. You know, pray to your God, pray to God. And that's where we left off. And this is a picture of a selfish man, if you think about it here. Look closely into Jonah's life. He comes across as a very self-centered, selfish man. He has no care for the people around him. He's obviously not concerned enough for the Ninevites. 
And he's obviously not concerned enough for the mariners who were in the ship because he's not willing to step up and do his part because he knows what's going on and he understands why the storm and yet he's not willing to do anything about it. So that's where we left off. Okay. And so as we continue, before we get into back, get back into the text, you know, um, I think it's important to mention or at least consider the state of life that Jonah is in. Uh, Jonah is not your typical Bible hero, if you can see that. Um, he's someone who knew God and he had an obvious relationship with him. He communicated with him. He heard from him and yet he struggled and he struggled with life. If you look at Jonah's life, if you start from chapter one through verse uh, through chapter four, you realize, well, Jonah is actually having a hard time with life. And as we read the second part of the first chapter, we're going to see, wait, life is hard, even for those who follow the Lord, even for those who serve the Lord, even for those who have a relationship with the Lord. And I'll be honest with you, this is something that hasn't necessarily been um, something I've understood. There are peaks and there are valleys in life. And I tend to be someone who likes the peaks because it feels good up there, because you could see things clear from up there. But the valleys are also designed for life, you know. And some people, uh, we, we sang about it just earlier, that even in the valleys of, the, of life, God is with us, you know. God has designed these valleys, and some people are there. You know, as we kind of experience it a little bit today, you know, sometimes we hurt. Sometimes we're reminded of the brokenness of this world, or sometimes we're just in a, play that is a place that's just really hard to get through. Nevertheless, this is the beauty and the importance of having a local church, a community of fellow believers, so that we can encourage one another to get through. And Jonah has find himself in this situation. He's someone who's called by God. He's someone who uh, hears the word of the Lord. Can you imagine just having that relationship with God where you hear the word of the Lord and you see what the Lord's plans are for his people? That would be amazing to just know it like that. And nevertheless, he struggled because, as you see here, his love for people was a little bit tough for him. He wasn't someone who was excited to just go out for the people. He wasn't someone like uh, the disciples, you know, who's willing to just go out and break bread and serve and do whatever they, they can do. He, he, was, he was just different about that. And I just want, I want to tell you that, that that's okay. You know, God made us in ways that sometimes we can't fully understand, but that's okay. He's made you in a way, he's given you a personality that's perhaps different from mine and from others here, and that's okay. That's actually the beauty of the body of Christ. We're all different. We all have different strengths. We all have different weaknesses, and that's why we uh, really benefit from one another to just be able to carry through. And so Jonah is someone who just can't handle life well. In fact, I'm no psychologist, but I would probably say he looks quite depressed. He looks quite suicidal, in fact. And so I just want to throw that out so that as we read this, it'll, you, you can see it a little bit, you know, and that's okay. God is still working. That doesn't mean that God is absent. That doesn't mean that God is not doing something in our lives, even when we're in the valleys. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I have good news. There's brokenness in the world, yes. There are moments where we're in the valleys, yes. The good news is that's why Jesus came, all right? And so that's why we're going to see the gospel in Jonah today, okay? So open to chapter 1 in Jonah. We're going to read it together, and this is what it says. We'll start in verse 7. We'll go through 17. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. 
So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, one who made the sea and dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? The sea may, the, the, the sea may, be, may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Tempestuous, excuse me. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry line, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. We ask, Father, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive from you to help us understand this, Lord. Lord, I know that this isn't a coincidence that we're studying this chapter right now, Father, and we just ask that you would speak to us, build us up, encourage us, Lord Jesus, through your word. Thank you, Father, for your prophet Jonah, your servant, that even though his instinct was to run, you would still use him. And thank you that you're willing to do that with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we read this, I want to look at three different parts into this passage. And the three different parts that I want to see is first, the judgment of God is understood, or the wrath of God is understood. It's understood in the sense that people were wondering what was going on. The mariners were trying to figure out, why is this happening to us, right? And then they understand, oh, this is what the problem is. The, the next thing that I see here is the judgment of God is evaded, or at least it's tried to be evaded. So they understand what the problem is, but nevertheless, they're going to try to come up with their own solutions to the prob problem because they don't like the actual solution to the problem. Okay, so there's an attempt to evade the judgment of God or the wrath of God. And then the next thing that we see is that the judgment of God is satisfied. Finally, when all hope is gone, right, they do the right thing and then it is satisfied. And then we see that the storm is actually calmed. So those are the three layers that we're going to peel off of this passage. And if you look closely, you're going to find the gospel here. And hopefully you don't have to look too closely. Hopefully I'll just jump out at you. Okay, so let's start over. <clears throat> the judgment of God is understood. So these men see what's going on here. It says in verse 7, <clears throat> And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots. You're probably wondering, what is that? That means roll dice. <clears throat> let us roll dice. Let's figure out whose fault is this. And this was not actually an uncommon practice in the ancient world. This was a very common practice throughout that, that time. 
And it was a way of allowing the gods, the gods, because this was everybody's practice for the most part, to make decisions to the known people. So they would just roll dice and whatever it felt on, that was the will of the gods. Okay, why do they believe this? Well, because the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob actually determined his will. He, he expressed his will through casting of lots as well. So this was also a common practice by the Hebrews to know God's will, except for this was not just up to uh, up to randomness. This was truly them seeking God's will. In Proverbs 16:33, it says that the law is cast into the lap, but it's every decision. It's from the Lord. And so this was a tool that God used to, to allow his will to be known. But these people really sought God's will by casting lots. And so God moved in that way. In Leviticus chapter 16, God told the priest to cast lots to determine which goat would be, be set free. I don't know if you guys remember anything about the scapegoats, right? That you would determine this goat would be set free and this one would be sacrificed according to the lot, according to how the dice fell. In 1 Samuel, Saul cast lots to determine whose sin was responsible for God's uh, silence before the battle of the Philistines. And so in these two cases, these men were truly seeking God's revelation. This was not just up to chance. This was not just something that was just superstition for the Hebrews. But for the most part, it, it just was, right? You had to truly, truly come to the Lord and ask him, God, please reveal your will for us. And the Lord moved through the casting of lots. This was before Christ. And then the Holy Spirit came upon you. <laughs> and since the Holy Spirit has come upon you, he's revealed to us his will. And we also have the scriptures. And so now we don't roll dice to determine God's will. We come to the Lord, we come to the word, and we receive directly from him. That's why we don't cast lots anymore. But this is what they're doing. This is what the men are doing. They're casting lots so that they may know whose evil this has come upon. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Well, go figure, right? And then they said to him, okay, who are you, Jonah? Why, why did it fall on you? What kind of evil have you brought upon us? What did you do wrong? They knew that Jonah was doing something wrong, maybe for several reasons, not just that the, the lots fell on him, the cast of lots fell on him, but wasn't he acting a little bit bizarre from the beginning? Wasn't he acting a little bit weird? Isn't he just not part of the solution here, but he seems to be all part of the problem? And so they're really wanting to know, Jonah, what's going on with you? What is your occupation? What do you do? Where do you come from? Who are the people that you serve? Who do you call king? You know, wh what did you do? Are you, are you a bad guy? How bad are you? Is really what they want to know. And then Jonah's response says this. He says, I am a Hebrew. Now, that was a very common response that you'll see in the Old Testament when a, a Hebrew or an Israelite introduces himself to someone other than a Hebrew Israelite, some, a foreigner. So if you're introducing yourself to a foreigner, you, you call yourself a Hebrew, okay? If you're introducing yourself to another Hebrew, you tell them what tribe you're from, <laughs> all right? It's more specific. And so he's generalizing that. He's actually using a description to just uh, uh, identify his, his race of people, let's say. Okay, but these people have heard of the God of the Hebrews because there's some pretty fantastic stories out there about how the God of the Hebrews 
you know, created everything and split the Red Sea open and delivered the people and these amazing things. And the Egyptians, you know, fell because of this, or et cetera. You know, there's there's things there's there's conversations about that. It wasn't totally foreign for people to have heard of Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. And then Jonah goes off and said, and I fear the Lord. That word fear, you can also interpret as as I worship the Lord the God of heaven. I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven, it says, who made the sea and the dry land. That is totality, the God of everything. It's to say the God that does everything, controls everything from head to toe, cover all. That's, that's the kind of language that he's saying. You worship your gods, you worship your gods, you worship your gods, and if you remember, there's a God for every little thing that exists in the world. There's a God for the, 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 the ocean, there's a God for the ships, there's a God for the wind, there's a blah, 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 blah. Jonah is saying, I worship Yahweh, the God, the one that's responsible for absolutely everything. And then the men were exceedingly afraid. They feared this. They thought, wait a minute, you've made the God angry? This is the big kahuna? <laughs> you've made him angry? We're in trouble, right? <clears throat> so Jonah has at least disclosed what's going on, and so they understand the wrath of God. This is why God's judgment is upon us. And this is not just a little God. This is Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who is totally responsible for everything from head to toe. <clears throat> and so they ask him, what have you done? For these mean, men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because they had told him. So it sounds like Jonah kind of expressed to him what the, what the situation was. It sounds like he told him, hey, I was supposed to go to Nineveh, but I didn't. Thanks for letting me on board. And they're like, what have you done? Why are you doing this? Why are you behaving so foolishly, right? <clears throat> and so they're afraid. They fear God all of a sudden, right? They understood why the Lord was behaving the way that he was, or at least why this stuff was going on with him. And then the next part that we see here is the judgment <clears throat> of God is evaded. Okay, we know what the problem is. Let's see what we do about it. Verse 11 says, then they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? You know, they're concerned. They want this to settle down. And why? Because the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will be quiet, will be, will quiet down for you. Now, if you're one of those guys, God's already mad because of what's going on. Then God's servant says, just pick me up and throw me in the water. That's to say, just kill me. Just let me die. Just throw me overboard. You know, a man overboard is bad deal if you're a mariner. A man overboard is all hands on deck. We got to get that man out of, out of the water. That's if it happened accidentally. Otherwise, the only reason why a man would go overboard is because you're performing an execution. To be overboard means death. This is the sea, right? This is the great unknown. Who knows what's down there? And so you're telling me to kill you is, is basically what you're saying. Yes, Jonah's saying, just kill me because I'd rather die. It's my fault. Just kill me. I'd rather die. Would that have been the best response for Jonah, for a man of God? I think not. I think the best thing he could have done was repent, right? And say, I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge that I'm in the wrong. Lord, please forgive us. But that would have taken really the desire to turn things around, which means turn around and go to Nineveh. And Jonah was just not there. 
And so he much would rather die. He says his life is so awful. I'd just rather die. Just hurl me over. That word, that word hurl me over is the same word that they used in verse 4 to describe how the Lord brought this great wind. He hurled a great wind, like forcefully. Just, just chuck me out. Get rid of me. He's telling him, he's telling them, just get rid of me. I don't deserve to live anymore. You guys don't deserve this either. Just kill me. Ah, you know, man. That's just not the way to take, things matter, to take matters into your own hands. Obviously, the mariners didn't like this. And so what do they do in 13? They're like, mm, no, We're, let's try to row, guys. Let's just get on those oars and let's row back. We're going to fight this storm with our might. We're going we're gonna to do what we can. We're, there's no way we're executing this guy. There's no way we're throwing him overboard. And so they took matters into his own, their own hands and they rowed and they rowed and they rode, and they rode hard is what it says, to get back to dry land. But check this out, they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. 14 says, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and let lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Look at how things have turned around. Initially, these men were crying out to their gods. Now they have been introduced and exposed to Yahweh, the God, the one who's responsible for everything, the creator of heavens and earth. Now their attention turns to God. Why? Because when they cried out to their gods, nothing happened, right? It didn't work. Now they understand the wrath of God. They understand why God is responding the way that he is. They understand what they must do because what they're doing is not working. They don't have the right, the right equipment to be able to get through this. And so they're praying to him and they're saying, Lord, please don't judge us for the innocent blood. If this is what we have to do, we'll do it. And so this is the next part where the wrath of God or the judgment of God is satisfied. Let's look at verse 15. And so they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And then the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Look what happened here. A proper reverence is given to the, to the Lord now. Now these men who were idolaters are now acknowledging the God through proper reverence. They see the power of God. They see, wow, this God is just. This God is mighty. This God is truly sovereign and this God is truly in control from head to toe, right? And so they give him proper response, proper reverence. They fear him exceedingly and they offer a sacrifice made to the Lord. Hmm, that's interesting that a sacrifice was required. Okay, are you guys seeing the pieces come together? In order to satisfy God's judgment, a sacrifice was required. And these men knew that Jonah was innocent by their standards. They did not have a good logical or let's say judicial reason, according to their rules, vows, morals, laws, to throw this man overboard. Because to throw someone overboard is to execute them, okay? They didn't have that, and so they pleaded with the Lord, Lord, we're going to, we're going to chuck out an innocent life. Please have mercy on us. And so they do, and God accepts it. These men were, were listened to. They were heard by God. This, at this point, it's not even much about Jonah. It's about these men in the boat, the mariners. They're, they're understanding the, the greatness of God. And so now Jonah is in the water. And verse 17 says, 
and the Lord appointed. That's the sovereignty of God right there. He's so in control of everything. He allowed this to happen the way that it did. Yeah, it's okay that you get in, got in the wheel, you fell in the water, and then you feel like life is over. It's okay. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now, we don't know what that great fish is. Is it a whale? Maybe. Do you know that not a single fish is described in the Old Testament? It's just a fish. So anything that swims is a fish, okay? We have a picture there of a whale. It could have been a whale. It could have been a shark. I don't know what it was, but it was a fish. He swallows up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Three days and three nights. That brings me to our Christ connection. Remember, when we're in the Old Testament, it's always good to see where does Christ fit in this? Where's the connection? Well, this one's pretty clear, okay? For the Christ connection, let me take you to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, we'll read something that's actually directly related to Jonah. In Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 38 through uh, 42, we see of the sign of Jonah. I want to take you through this really quick to see what's going on here and what this means. It says in Matthew 12, 38, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. In other words, God, show us that you are God. Show us that you really are the Messiah. But he answered to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. You evil people, you're constantly asking for a sign. You have no faith. But no sign's going to be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. Well, that's, well, that's interesting. What's the sign of Jonah? What is it that's going to con confirm you as Messiah, as God, right? And this is the sign of Jonah. He answered them in verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with the generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What he's saying is Jonah ended up in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Do you know what the result of that was for Jonah? If you read ahead into chapter 2, Jonah then remembers the Lord and he prays to him and he earnestly asks him to help him because he's in the belly of the fish. That's death. If you're in the belly of the fish, you're gone. If you've been eaten up, you can't expect to be out of that situation. That's why you stay out of the ocean, guys. <laughs> right? And so he's praying to the Lord. He's coming to him. He's asking for salvation and there's repentance there. Right? And so death was required for Jonah to finally get to Nineveh. And again, if you read ahead, you see that the Ninevites actually responded in a way that was kind of surprising. This was an evil generation. This is people who were just completely nasty and they repented. They actually dressed themselves in sackcloth and poured ashes over, them and, over themselves and they asked the Lord to save them and to, to forgive them of their sin. This was the result of the prophet Jonah going through what he did, right? So it was, it was good reason that the Lord led him into the ocean, into the fish, and then out into where he needed to go. Just as in the same way, Jesus would be, have to be sacrificed. This innocent man would have to pay the penalty of death, right? That was due to us. Innocent, which means that penalty that was not owed by him. It was owed by us so that repentance would come and then salvation would come. That's the sign of Jonah. What he's saying is, hey, you're asking for signs, but this is what you'll see. You'll see that. I'll die. And then the third day I'll come back, and then those who believe in me and repent will be saved. That's the sign of Jonah. 
I'll be back, right? Just as Jonah, you, you would thought, I mean, these mariners, I can imagine that these mariners just probably mourned for his life. I don't, think, I don't think that there was a way for them to know that he actually survived. Was there? I don't know. <laughs> as, far as, the, as far as I'm concerned, Jonah's gone to them. And so that takes us to the first takeaway. And our first takeaway, I, just, I, I, I was trying to really think about the takeaways, and it's really just the gospel is so important because life is hard. That's just the reality of things, you know? And thank God for that. Thank Jesus that he came to take on the sin because these are the things that bog us down sometimes, and sometimes we don't know how to move forward. But here's, here's the first takeaway, and I, and I hope that you guys see this. Life comes not by avoiding death, but by through death, but, but, but through death. Okay, the sailors were desperate and they wrote hard. Remember that. And Jonah tried to save um, himself from the Ninevites by running. He didn't, he didn't want to be a part of that. That's not how you gain life. In fact, there's nothing you could really do to gain your life. It was everything that Jesus did through death. Christ died so that you may live. Let's look at John chapter 12. Verse 24 through 25, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If that grain of wheat doesn't fall into the ground, it doesn't become anything, right? It'll just die off. But if it actually falls, which you would think, oh, it's gone, it's dead, it's off of its vine, you know. But at that point, it becomes something, it sprouts, it grows into a tree or a, or a plant or something, and then it bears fruit. And then 25 says, whoever loves his life loses it, meaning whoever loves their sin or their life so much that they're not willing to do God's will. Whoever is living that way will lose it. And whoever hates his life, meaning, wow, I really just hate that I'm sinful. I really just hate that I'm not willing to do God's will, you know. And I'm willing to just let go of my life for the sake of Christ. I'm willing to become a bondservant of Christ. I'm willing for him to just take over my life. It says, whoever hates his life in this world, you know, considering the, the sin of this world, he will keep it for eternal life. Why? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, not because we have the power to bring life to ourselves. It's, it, does that make sense? Are you guys following? So, <clears throat> because you chose to follow and serve Jesus... You know, you have life. That's the first takeaway. The second takeaway is strength comes not despite weakness, but in weakness. You see that? Not despite weakness. Let's, look, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this in verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, this is Paul to the Corinthians. Remember, Paul's one of the greatest evangelists out there. Greatest church planters out there. And he's saying this. Because he has so much God knowledge, right? And he's saying this to the Corinthians. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power uh, of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because through our weakness, God just really shows up and shows off. 
And that's so beautiful. To be weak is okay. To be weak is the point of surrender. To be weak is to say, God, I need you. We just sang about that too, right? Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you because I realize that I don't have the strength to get through the challenges of this life, right? I'm bogged down. There's so much going on. I need you. And, and when, you, when you step into that, then you feel the strength of the Lord and, and then you start rejoicing, right? And you see God, wow, it's better to be in your presence than to be far from it. It's better to run towards you than to run away from you. Why? Because in our weakness, he is strong through us. Amen. So strength not, comes not despite weaknesses, but in weakness. It's not a bad thing to feel a sense of weakness. It's not a bad thing to feel like you need help. Takeaway number three, comfort comes not by eliminated affliction, but through affliction. So many times, this is my problem, is that I try to not experience affliction. I run away from it. If there's problem, if there's anything that's going to cause me heartache or pain, I'm going to run from it. I'm going to come up with a plan to be able to avoid that. But what the Bible is telling us is that it actually comes through affliction. Comfort comes through affliction. That's the biggest concern sometimes is how can I live a more comfortable life? If I want to be comfortable, I have to get away from the things that are hard. But no, 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 no. If we're biblically speaking of biblical comfort, that means that we are satisfied in the Lord. That comes through affliction. Second Corinthians. Let's look at Paul's words again. This time to the Corinthians in chapter one, verse three to seven. Um, he says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Maybe we have affliction for reason. Maybe we have troubles. Maybe we experience suffering for reason so that we can learn, right, to comfort those in, Christ, in Jesus Christ's name who are also experiencing it. Again, this is the beauty of being a fellowship. This is the beauty of being part of the church is, hey, I know what you're going through. I've been there. Yeah, it does. It does feel terrible. But let me tell you what Jesus has to offer for you. Let me tell you that you don't have to experience this all the times and there's hope ahead. Maybe this is why God has given us the experiences of any affliction. And it says in uh, continuing verse four, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse five, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we're abundantly in comfort too. Six, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are com comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. You know, it's, it's hard to know freedom unless you know what it means to be in bondage, right? It's hard to know uh, comfort unless you know what discomfort is. It's hard to understand salvation unless you know that you are literally need, in need of a savior. And so maybe affliction, maybe discomfort is a good thing, especially if we deal with it in a way that is biblical, that is God honoring. You know, maybe we shouldn't run again like Jonah. Maybe we should run towards God. And that comfort that we experience is beautiful. Let me tell you this. It is beautiful to be comforted by the Lord because that builds us up, that helps us, that equips us to be able to impart that wisdom, you know, those experiences unto others. And so when we see someone who's broken down, you know, it's okay. We can be there for them. Doesn't mean that everything needs to be perfect to our standards, for God is doing something amazing, even in brokenness. 
And this is, this is really why Jesus came. Because we don't have the ability or the power to escape it. This is life. This is the world. This is the consequence of sin. But thanks be to God that he has come and then he has taken the punishment that was due to us. That while we were still yet sinners, he died for us. And there is no greater love than that, than he who gave his life up for his friends. Do you see that? And so what we see in this passage in Jonah is God's moving. He allows certain things. It's okay to, to, to be in areas in life where we feel like, man, this is not going well. And God's doing something amazing. And so just, let's just remember, uh, sometimes the very thing we think we need to avoid or run from or fix ourselves is the very thing that's going to refine us and make us better. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we find comfort through you, Father. And it really and truly is comforting to see that Jonah, even though he was running, even though he, he just wished his life to end, that you still used him and you still made a way for those whom, whom you had called, those, those people in Nineveh or these people in the world, we can say, you called them to repentance, Lord Jesus. You made a way for us to be able to be reconciled with you. And we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would help us through our weakness, that you would help us when we don't feel strong, when we feel afflicted, Lord, that you would help us when we try to take over for you, Lord Jesus, or that when we tried to run away from the calling that you've given us. Help us, Father, just endure. Help us finish the race. Help us encourage one another. Help us come to you and be comforted by your word. And thank you, Lord Jesus Christ for the love that you have displayed for us, that we can be reconciled to you and that we can live with you for eternity. And this is just temporary. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.